Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is good to be together with you today. Uh, we'll uh, all miss hearing from John Seifert, but I am, it's my joy uh, to uh, bring you the message this morning. Although, I would say, uh, we have all been preaching this morning. Amen? If, uh, I hope you've been listening to the words that you have been declaring in song and in the Ligonier statement. Um, in a way, I feel like I will just be uh, continuing <clears throat> excuse me, the sermon that we've already started. Well, during the next few weeks of the Christmas season, uh, we're all going to be doing quite a bit of thinking about uh, the uh, wonder, the mystery of the incarnation. Uh, as, we, as we said in the, in the statement on Christology, the mystery and wonder of God made flesh. Uh, we'll be thinking about the miracle of the virgin birth, I'm sure. Uh, the journey of Mary and Joseph um, on foot from um, Nazareth to Bethlehem and fulfillment of ancient prophecy. We'll, we'll be uh, remembering the holy child in the manger. But why did Jesus come as a man? What was the purpose of his being born into the world as a human baby? Well, to answer that question, uh, we're going to turn to John chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at the testimony of John the Baptist, as recorded by John the Apostle in, in the Gospel of John. So this morning is basically going to be John quoting John quoting John. So if you'd like to start turning in your Bibles to John chapter 1, uh, in your pew Bible, that'll be on page 833. But uh, before we get into the text, uh, a little bit about John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was sent by God as a prophetic witness to the people of Israel. And he was a powerful preacher uh, whose words had the ring of God's authority in them. People found his preaching irresistible. Um, they could sense that when John called on them to repent of their sins and turn to the Lord, that this was not just a dynamic speaker with something to say. It wasn't just a, a smart uh, Bible uh, scholar uh, with some, who, who could teach them some theology, uh, although those things are good. But uh, this was a true prophet of God. Uh, this was an opportunity for them to hear God talk to them. And so they came by the thousands. They came by the thousands uh, to the River Jordan to hear John preach. May we be so eager, so thirsty to hear the word of God, even when it challenges us. Well, the religious leaders in Jerusalem were pretty shook up about this guy. Everybody in their synagogue was going to hear him and get baptized, uh, but he wasn't one of them. Um, he hadn't trained in their schools. He didn't go to their conferences. They didn't know what to expect from John. And to make things worse, he was preaching at a time when a lot of people were waiting for the promised Messiah, the promised Christ to Israel. So, the religious leaders in Jerusalem sent a delegation uh, to ask John, who are you? Are you the Messiah? 
are you the Christ? And he told them, no, no, I'm not the one. We're still waiting. I'm not, I'm not the one we're waiting for. But he said, I've been sent by God to get Israel ready for him. And guess what? He's already here. He's among us getting ready to be revealed for who he is. So that's John's message. Get ready. The Christ is coming. Which, which brings us to our text, and we'll start in verse 29. So the next day after the delegation meets with John, uh, John the Baptist comes into contact with Jesus. He sees Jesus. And, and from his testimony about Jesus, we are going to answer three questions this morning. Number one, who is Jesus? Number two, how does Jesus take away sin? And number three, what should we do about Jesus? John 1, starting in verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So, according to John, who is Jesus? Well, first of all, he's the one we've been waiting for. He is the promised Messiah. When John says, um, uh, he who sent me to uh, baptize with water said to me, uh, he who, uh, on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Um, and when he, uh, when he says, uh, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. John is repeating the things that he, that he was telling the Jews, like this is who is coming. This is who we're waiting for. Now, uh, John says, I, did, I'm, I myself did not know him. I think probably John knew Jesus as a man. He probably recognized who he was because they were relatives and their mothers uh, had been good friends. I, I, don't know that, I don't know that they knew each other for sure, but he, they probably did. But what... What John didn't know about Jesus until God supernaturally revealed it to him was that Jesus was that promised Messiah, the Son of God. Secondly, John says, Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Um, in verse 33, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, 
This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, John came calling on people to repent, to make a change in their lives, um, and to start obeying God's law. And his baptism with water gave people a milestone in their lives to say, this is, this is where I, I turned around and, and committed to start obeying God. But Jesus offers a baptism that is greater than anything John the Baptist had to give. When we believe in Jesus and when we commit our lives to him, he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. The presence of God comes into us in a new way. Uh, he begins a new kind of life in us. He gives us power to live like Jesus did. He brings the truth of God's word alive in our minds and hearts, and he changes our hearts. He begins to change our hearts to start loving the things that God loves, start hating the things that God hates. When you became a disciple of John, your baptism in water was a symbol of your commitment. When you become a disciple of Jesus, your baptism in water is a sign and reminder of a greater baptism that has already taken place, that the miracle of God with us has become a reality in your life. John tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. I don't know if John the Baptist understood the full meaning of his own prophetic declaration that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, but John the Apostle, looking back at Jesus' life, uh, thought this was the, one of the most important things that anyone could say about Jesus, and he, he repeats it over and over. Jesus is not just another prophet. He's not just the greatest of all prophets. In fact, he is the one unique son of God. We could say, and we do say, God the son. He is and forever will be a human man. Truly is. But he also is the same God who created the cosmos. Finally, from what, uh, what John says, we see that Jesus is gentle and lowly. In verse 29, he, he calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Now, when I was a child, I used to imagine how cool it would be uh, to, to be or have the experience of, of being this or that kind of animal. Um, I don't know how many of you did this. Uh, my daughter is already doing it, so I assume it, it must be pretty common. <clears throat> I would usually pick an animal with extraordinary strength or ability that humans don't have. Uh, imagine being as strong as an elephant or as fast as a falcon uh, or able to use echolocation to fly through dark caves like a bat. But a lamb is not like that. A lamb is cute and soft, but it, it's really a pretty weak, clumsy animal, uh, not a especially fast or smart or powerful. 
A lamb is also gentle and humble, lowly. When Jesus came into the world, he had every right to roar in as a conquering lion. And he will soon enough. But when he came the first time, he came as a gentle, lowly lamb to live among us, to show us what he is truly like. And most importantly, to take away the sins of the world. But how does a lamb take away sin? Taking away the sin of the world is an awesome feat. And a lamb doesn't seem like much of a superhero, as we've said. However, a lamb can do something that until Jesus was born into the world, God himself could not do. A lamb can die. In the law of Moses, God gave instructions for animals to be sacrificed on the altar in the tabernacle and later in the temple. In Leviticus chapters 4 through 6, we don't necessarily need to turn there, but we will find instructions for sin offerings and guilt offerings. And these sacrifices were to be offered when people became aware of sins that they had committed and realized that they, they needed to find peace and forgiveness from God. First, the sinner would bring, would, would either have or buy, uh, and bring the animal to be sacrificed before the priest. Uh, it'd be one of several kinds of animals. Could be a bull, could be a goat, could be a lamb, depending on the situation and the person. And the sinner would lay his hand on the head of the animal, identifying himself with the animal as it was killed, as it died. The priest would sprinkle the blood of the animal around the altar, around in front of the sanctuary of the, of the tabernacle, and, uh, and the rest, uh, the, he, would, he would burn the, the fat of the animal on the altar, the rest of the animal would be taken outside of the camp or outside the city and burned on an ash heap. The purpose of this sacrifice was to make atonement for the sinner. Now, before we, uh, in order for us to talk about atonement, let's talk a little bit about sin. Um, the Bible is clear that uh, every one of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory and that the wages of this sin is death. Every one of us has the sentence of death hanging over us apart from Christ um, because of sin. And, um, and God's provision in the Old Testament uh, for these uh, to, to make atonement or um, to be reconciled to us um, was the sacrifice of these animals. Atonement is a very important theological word, but it's, it is actually not a Hebrew or Greek word, but it's an English word. It, it literally means at one meant, uh, becoming one again or being reconciled to God. Leviticus 4.20 uh, says, and it's repeated throughout um, 
the description of the sacrifices. And the priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven. Now, atonement has two sides to it, uh, which theologians uh, sometimes call propitiation and expiation. Propitiation is satisfying God's just wrath against sin. Propitiation is, is the Godward side of atonement. Expiation is removing or extinguishing or cleansing the sinner from guilt. And so when these animals were sacrificed at the altar, um, the purpose was to make atonement, which includes propitiation of God's wrath against the sinner and expiation, the cleansing of the sinner from guilt. Well, um, that is the reason why Christ died, uh, was as a better, more perfect sacrifice for sin. He made propitiation. Romans 3, 23 through 25 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. 1 John 4.10 tells us that the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Likewise, 1 John, in 1 John 1.7, it says, The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the expiation side of atonement. Well, God provided the sacrifice of animals in the Old Testament, but the truth is that the sacrifice of, of these bulls and goats and lambs was not enough. Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 4, tells us as much. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. God, in His grace, uh, made provision for sinners before the sacrifice of Christ. But it was in the sacrifice of one who is greater than a bull or a, or a goat or a lamb uh, that sins were truly atoned for. Jesus is not just another lamb. He is the lamb of God. He is the lamb whom God provided. Every other sacrifice um, that, uh, that was offered at the altar was a sacrifice brought by the sinner. And it wasn't good enough. But... Uh, 
Christ was a lamb provided by God. Flipping back to Genesis 22, we see a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God. This is the story of the the sacrifice of Isaac, uh, where God mysteriously told Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go and offer him as a burnt offering. This is just about the worst news that Abraham could get, but in faith, he obeyed God, and he, he took Isaac on a journey to the mountain to sacrifice him. So in, in Genesis 22, in verse 6, it says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son, He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb of a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And Abraham's heart was breaking because he thought in that moment that, that Isaac was the lamb that God had provided. But at the last minute, the angel of the Lord stopped Abraham and said, No, Abraham, don't kill your son. I, I, I see that you were willing to, but uh, you don't have to. Um, and in verse 13, it says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it will be provided. That story contains uh, a promise. It looks ahead to the perfect lamb whom God provided The sentence of death was on us as it was on Isaac, but God provided a lamb, a perfect lamb, to die in place of sinners. Jesus is also the true Passover lamb. He is the fulfillment of the Passover feast which God established. As as Michael uh, read for us in Exodus 12, um, when, uh, when God brought the people of God, uh, the people of Israel out of Egypt, um, and when he, when, when he visited the final plague on the Egyptians, the death of the firstborn, he instituted the tradition of the Passover and the Passover lamb. See, he said the, the sentence of death is on the firstborn of every household, But if you kill the Passover lamb instead, wipe its blood around the door of your house, the angel of death will pass over your house. And uh, the uh, sentence of death will not come upon your household. Well, John makes it very clear in in chapter 13, verse 1, and also uh, I'm looking at... uh, chapter 19, verses 14 through 16, 
that Jesus is the final Passover lamb. In verse 14, it says, Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And Pilate said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified at the same time that the Passover lambs were being slain. Jesus took sin upon himself as the promised servant of the book of Isaiah. Uh, Chapter 53 of the book Isaiah, um, we'll, we'll turn there real quickly. Um, I'd love to read all of it. It is, uh, it is such a beautiful and important um, teaching to us uh, about the purpose and the meaning of Jesus' passion and death. We'll, uh, we'll just read uh, verses uh, 4 through 7. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That's why Jesus had to be born into this world, the only person in the universe to be both God and man. You see, God can't die. But a man could. A man's life would not have been a sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world. But God's life was. And so God the Son became a man. And in so doing, he became the only lamb who could ever take away the sins of the world. So what should we do about Jesus? Well, we'll turn back to John chapter 1 here. What, what does John say to do in verse 29, John chapter 1? He said, Behold the Lamb of God. We should behold him. Now, we can't see Jesus in front of us right now, but we... Uh, We can see and know and think about the things that he's revealed about himself. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Pay attention to him. Remember him throughout your day. Meditate on his person. Contemplate his saving work in your heart. Give thanks for what he has done for you. Let Jesus be ever in your mind. And 
Let me encourage us, as we think about Jesus in this Christmas season, we'll often bring to mind the images cultivated by a thousand nativity scenes, right? Of Mary and Joseph huddled with their divine baby in an ancient stable. And as well we should, as well we should think of that. But let me encourage us also, as we remember Jesus' birth, to think about his person and to think about his work about his life as a humble carpenter turned street preacher, his, about his death through an unjust execution demanded by an angry mob, which he suffered willingly so that we who deserve to die could find God's grace and live. Let's think about his resurrection that proves that his sacrifice was sufficient for all of man's sin and gives us a glimpse of the life in store for each of us at his return. And as we prepare for Christmas, as we put up the decorations, as we shop for gifts, as we make our plans for travel and for parties, let's take time to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Secondly, we should follow him. Uh, look at verses 35 through 37. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now this time, these, these followers of John got the message. These men had been following John, and for them, hearing and obeying John's prophetic words from God was worth wrapping their whole lives around. But when he told them that Jesus was really the one they were waiting for, they didn't let habit or personal loyalty hold them back from following Jesus. They chose the greater rabbi. They chose the greater master. And they started following Jesus. Now, if we rightly behold the Lamb of God, we will follow him. He is worthy not only of our attention, not only of our looking at him, but of our obedience. Let's wrap our lives around worshiping him, around listening to him, learning from him. Let's wrap our lives around imitating him and obeying his commands. Now, following Jesus is a lifelong pursuit. If you've been following Jesus for a long time, praise God. Keep following him. If you have not yet begun to follow him, you can start today. As the Lamb of God who takes... Oh, uh, sorry. And then finally, we should believe in him. We should believe in him. As the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus is the greatest and most desperately needed Christmas gift anyone could receive. But not everyone will receive this gift. The offer of forgiveness and reconciliation to God through Christ is open to all. But if we're going to get any good from it, we have to receive it by faith. We must believe. John himself, uh, the Apostle John, makes this very clear. Um, 
in John chapter 1, turning back to verse 12, says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But what of those who do not believe? What happens to them? Well, John answers this question in chapter 3. Let's turn a few pages over. Um, in uh, chapter 3, verse 18 Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If you are listening today and have never believed in Jesus, we are so glad you are here. And perhaps the Holy Spirit is already calling to you even now. I would love to talk to you after the service about Jesus, about his redeeming work for you, and even about your questions and doubts about him. He is the Lamb of God, and he is in the business of taking away the sins of the world uh, even today. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you. I thank you that you sent your only begotten Son, into the world as the Lamb, the Lamb of God, to take away sin, to make it possible for all who believe in you to become your children, to be no longer separated from you by, by our sins, but reconciled through his blood. Lord, I pray for uh, those of us who believe and are following you. Um, I pray that you would... Help us to behold you and follow you and, and think about you uh, in this Christmas season. And for um, anyone who, uh, who is here today who, um, who does not yet know you, Lord, I, I pray uh, that you would come in power to change hearts and minds and to change lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name and because of what he did for us. Amen.